blessing and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and might belong to our God forever and ever. Amen. My dear Christian friends, the transfiguration of Jesus is kind of like a big blockbuster superhero movie, except in reverse. In the movies, you're looking forward to seeing Iron Man blow up a tank with a missile. Captain America throw his shield at Red Skull. The Hulk smash Loki. And Spider-Man beating up Doc Ock. But what if, in those big superhero movies, you didn't see the superheroes until the very end of that movie? Then the rest of the time of an hour and a half or more is spent on an introspection of Bruce Banner and Tony Stark, Steve Rogers, and Peter Parker. But that's kind of the way it was for Jesus in his ministry. For three and a half years, Jesus just, he taught and he, he, he was preaching and teaching, and yet he was doing marvelous things like driving out demons, healing the sick, raising the dead. But even when he did those marvelous things, and the glory of the Lord was shining forth, he was still looking like an ordinary person. The four Gospels are kind of like an introspection of Jesus as true God, but also true man. The divinity of, the glory of Jesus' divinity, it shines through his humanity. But most of the time, the humanity is covering over the divinity until the waning moments of Jesus' life up on that mountain. While Jesus was teaching his disciples, he once told them about how much they're going to have to suffer in being his disciples. He said, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. He, gave, he then gave them a week to ponder those words in their hearts. And then Luke tells us about eight days after he said these words, Jesus took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. This is the eighth day, the first day of the second week. And I think Luke is being intentional here because the events on that mountain are intentional for the disciples to be prepared for the persecution and the suffering and the death that they're going to have to face carrying their crosses as Jesus' disciples, they need to see Jesus' glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. They need to see Jesus' glory uncovered before a few weeks later when they see Jesus' glory, but it's covered with humility and shame and blood. Before you invest time in watching a movie, whether it's in the theater or at home, maybe you go and you ask your friends if they've seen that movie. You trust their reviews even more so than a good review on Rotten Tomatoes. You trust their testimony. Well, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament you needed the testimony of two or three wet witnesses to testify to the truth of an event. Jesus wants generations of his followers to be able to trust what is going on on this mountain. 
And so he brings two or three witnesses, Peter, James, and John, to witness what is going on so then they can tell others what has happened on that mountain. While Jesus is praying, and in Luke's gospel, when Jesus is praying, something momentous is about to happen. His face was changed, and his, in his appearance, his clothing became dazzling white. This is an epiphany, a revealing. Jesus' divinity is shining through his humanity, causing his face and his clothing to glow with an otherworldly brightness. It is a visual reminder that Jesus is a man, but he is certainly much more than a man. He is fully God and fully human. True God from true God. Light from light. And though deeply hidden beneath his humanity, Jesus' divine nature and his glory are there. They're simply hidden from human eye. In our Old Testament reading, we heard about how Moses went up onto Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments from the Lord. And while he is there in the presence of the Lord, the glory of the Lord is shining around him. And then his face reflects that glory. It's kind of like if you have a glow-in-the-dark watch and you're out in the bright sunlight, you come into the darkness of your home and your the watch face of your watch is glowing, reflecting the glory and the brightness of the sun. But the glory on, reflected on Moses' face, it faded away. That's why Moses was wearing the veil, so the people could not see the glory of the Lord fading away. But Jesus' glory never faded away. That's because Every cell of his human body was filled with the divinity of the glory of the Lord. This was the same glory that filled up the tabernacle and the temple. This was the glory of the Lord that was in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. This was a sign that God was up there on that mountain. Much like Isaiah prophesied, then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all flesh together will see it. But sinful people cannot handle the glory of the Lord. They can't even handle the reflection of the glory of the Lord. Even the reflection of that glory shines too brightly in the blackness of our human sin. So Moses wore a veil so that he could dwell in the presence of his people. And it's much the same way that Jesus did. St. John tells us in the beginning of his gospel that the word became flesh so that he could dwell among his people. The people could not handle the glory of the Lord if Jesus was not fully human, covering up that glory. But because he covered that glory with humanity, now the people would not flee in panic and terror. Jesus rarely let his glory shine forth. And when he did, that's when the people were terrified. And so the Son of God veiled his, veiled his glory with human flesh so that he could dwell among his people. Unlike Moses, Jesus did not take this veil on and off at various times. Jesus put this veil on in the womb of Mary. And he took it off for a little while so that 
the glory of the Lord could shine through on the mountain, but really this veil stays on him all the time, even in heaven. But now in heaven, that glory of the Lord just continues to shine through the veil of his humanity. In the old days, and I'm talking about my old days, in the old days, Siskel and Ebert would be listened to as trusted reviewers of whether a movie was good or not. Well, Jesus is listening to two trusted reviewers of Moses and Elijah on the mountain. Moses represents the law, and Elijah represents the mountain. And as Pastor Lightning and Pastor Worshke and I talked about in the latest podcast about transfiguration, we talked about how Moses and Elijah talked to the Son of God in the Old Testament before. That was the pre-incarnate Christ, God before, the Son of God before he took on human flesh that spoke to Moses in the burning bush. That was the pre-incarnate Christ that whispered to Elijah in the wind. And now Jesus is talking to these old friends again. Luke tells us that Moses and Elijah were talking to Jesus about his departure. The Greek word Luke uses is Exodus. And who better to talk to about an Exodus than Moses? Luke is anchoring this vision in Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, and his ascension into heaven on the 40th day, much like what we sang about in our opening hymn. This is Jesus' Exodus from this world to the next. And Jesus will then lead his people from the slavery of sin in this world to the exodus to the promised land of heaven. The transfiguration is preparation for that. This Jesus who shines like the sun, who radiates the glory of God on earth is also the same Jesus who just a few weeks later is going to be hanging also in glory, but a different kind of glory on Good Friday. Have you ever gotten settled in for a movie? Whether it's at the theater or at home, you've got your your tub of popcorn, your gallon of soda, you recline your chair, you put on the heater, and then you promptly fall asleep. And you wake up just at the climax of the movie with all of the explosions, the bright lights, and the triumphant music. Well, Peter, James, and John, they almost missed the whole thing on the mountain. Luke says that they were heavy with sleep. Maybe they fell asleep while Jesus was praying, and they're praying with Jesus because that's what happens a little bit later when they're on another mountain, the Mount of Olives in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying with Jesus. And when they awake, they get an eyeful. Jesus is glowing. Moses and Elijah are standing there. They wake up in a hurry. And Peter blurts out, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let's make three tents. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And then Luke adds, he doesn't know what he's saying. Peter seems to be suggesting that he wants to make a permanent dwelling place for Jesus, Moses, and Elijah up on that mountain. Maybe even a permanent dwelling place for the three disciples. Because maybe Peter remembers what's going to be happening to them when they go down that mountain. 
we can often be like Peter, that we realize that's what's waiting for us when we leave the mountain of the church. Yeah, it's good for us to be here on the mountain because this is where we hear the law and the prophets read and explained. This is where we hear the voice of Jesus speaking to us in the scripture lessons, the devotions and the sermon. This is where we speak to Jesus in our prayers and our praises. This is where we come into contact with the Son of God and his grace and forgiveness in word and sacraments. This is where we see Jesus in his humility and his glory. But we can be tempted to stay here because we know it's dangerous out there. And if we're paying attention to the things going on in our world and our culture, it's getting ever more dangerous for Christians. Out there in the plain, that is a place of persecution and difficulty, suffering, imprisonment, and maybe even death. It is a dark valley of the shadow of death. It's scary to talk to others about Jesus and then invite them to come to the church, to the mountain with you. You open yourself up to cancellation when you refuse to go along with the wokeness of our culture. You know that you're going to be demoted and denigrated when you speak about what the Bible calls sin and yet our culture calls good. It's easier to stay on the mountain. Or sadly, it's even easier to not even go to the mountain in the first place. To just stay in our homes, to stay in the safety of the walls of our homes, uh, sitting on our couches so that people don't even know that we're Christians. Because if people don't know that we're Christians, then we're not going to be persecuted as Christians. Then we can avoid carrying our crosses. Luke says that the cloud of the glory of the Lord then descended upon the six individuals on the mountain. While Peter was saying these things, the cloud came and overshadowed them. They were afraid and they went into the cloud. Then a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. This is the same voice of God the Father testifying to his son that we heard three years earlier as God the Father spoke from a cloud and testified to his son at his baptism that Jesus is greater than Moses, greater than Elijah, greater than any other great religious figure in the face of the earth. He alone brings about a resur- a, an exodus through his death and resurrection. He alone washes away the stain of sin in, the, in his forgiveness that is covered in the waters of baptism. He alone gives the meal of salvation that's covered in the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper. He alone gives us the words of eternal life that are covered by written and spoken words. On the Mount of Transfiguration, God the Father proclaims his son, proclaims Jesus to be his son in his glory. But a little while later, a Roman centurion is going to proclaim Jesus to be the son of God in all of his blood and gore. Truly this man was the son of God. And notice that Jesus did not come down the mountain, continuing to display his full glory. And said Jesus would display a much greater glory as he died for humanity's sins on Mount Calvary. 
We would be terrified if we were among the Old Testament Israelites seeing the glory of the Lord reflected in the face of Moses. And so Moses covered up his face. If we were around at Jesus' time, we would be terrified if we saw the Son of God walking around in all of his glory. And so the Son of God covered that glory with human flesh and blood. And we would be terrified today if the visible Son of God who loves to dwell among his people was dwelling with us in all of that glory. And so our God who loves to dwell among his people covers that glory. He covers his glory with the words of absolution, with the words of scripture, with the waters of baptism, with the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper. What a powerful and glorious God we have. But a powerful and glorious God who is also a gracious God who covers his glory to dwell among his people. You may have guessed that I've watched a lot of superhero movies. But honestly, they can get boring. They can get boring if there's no backstory, if there's no introspection of the main character, if there's no motivation for why an ordinary person puts on a cape and clothes to become a superhero. Then it's just fighting explosions and victory. And that's boring. The greater superhero movies are the ones where there is an introspection on the hero. There is character development. There's motivation on why an ordinary person becomes a superhero. Well, Jesus is the superhero. He is the divine God that is wrapped up in humanity. And this makes his teaching, preaching, and miracles all the more poignant and powerful. Today, we see a glimpse of the glory of Jesus as the superhero son of God. The son of God that is glorious and powerful and gracious. That he covers up his glory to dwell among his people. And so it is good for us to be here with Jesus on the mountain of the church. But it's also good for us to leave the mountain, to go out into the valley of the world, carrying our crosses as Jesus' disciples. Amen.